Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And as always, you're a part of the show. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's heating up and the fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Speaking of what fans deserve, there was so much news today that we really didn't give Braves fans what they deserve in in the form of a true World Series celebration. This is a little bit for you, Atlanta. A swing and a bouncer to short. Swanson has it. The throw across to Freeman, and that'll do it. The Atlanta Braves defeat the Houston Astros 7-0, and they win the World Series in six games. Ah, I just know what it feels like. The day after your team wins it all, you want to turn on the TV, the radio, open every website, and see images and sounds of that victory, and kind of got spoiled today for you Braves fans. Unfortunately, go ahead and cut that. Uh, That's all the time we have for that right now. We're going to get back to it. I promise we're going to get back to it. But we do have to get to the news of the day. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I promise Atlanta fans, we'll get back to it. Uh, We'll get you some Mel Duncan excited. Maybe she'll be crying. Maybe she'll be drunk. You never really know. We'll get you um, all the great statistics around that win. But the Aaron Rodgers news absolutely dropped a bomb on the sports world today, Fitz. We find out that he tested positive for COVID-19. And by virtue of the fact that they already announced that he will be unavailable for their game against the Chiefs, We figured out and deduced for ourselves, wait a minute, that means that the quarterback for the Packers is unvaccinated. We had been carrying on all season long under the impression that he had been. And that is because of this conversation before the season started back in August. Are you vaccinated and what's your stance on on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. Um, You know, there's a lot of... uh... A lot of conversation around it, around the league, and a lot of guys who have made statements and not made statements, owners who made statements. Um, you know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. Okay, so whether you want to parse the exact synonym of immunized versus vaccinated, he started with, to the question, have you been vaccinated? Yeah. And then he said, I've been immunized and used it as a synonym for the question he'd been asked. And then he went on to describe those who had not been vaccinated as people he would not judge. And Fitz, I know we've heard a lot of of celebrities and athletes switch between first person and third person over their careers. (laughs) But you're really reaching if you're trying to tell me it is the fault of the media and fans and anybody who watched that for believing that this guy was trying to pull the wool over his uh, our eyes, that he wasn't vaccinated. He was trying to make it very clear that he wanted us to believe that because he didn't want any smoke on having to come out and admit that he was unvaccinated. Period. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm sitting in the kitchen this morning uh, or this afternoon, 
I'm making eggs. I'm trying to be all healthy, right? And I'm sitting there, and I, I hear COVID-19 for Aaron Rodgers, and I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense because he's vaccinated. That's when you start going down the rabbit hole, and even when you hear him say, well, I've been immunized, well, this is also Aaron Rodgers, where everything's like one second into deep thought, and the next second it's not that deep, right? So I'm thinking in the moment you hear that, you just presume that that's Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, using immunized instead of saying vaccinated. Right. But now we realize that I guess the expectation was that we should have drilled down on it more. I, I, I mean, it's stunning to me, though, because this isn't just about then. It's about everything that's happened since. Like, how is it possible that a non-vaccinated player has been standing up at press conferences with no mask on, been standing on sidelines with no mask All these things that we've been told the NFL won't allow. Now we find out that the NFL is aware that he was not vaccinated, but he's still been allowed to do these things. Like, it doesn't make any sense when I try and put it together. Chris Canty on Canty Golick Jr., the show that you hear right before us, talked about the NFL needing to step in and to have done something up to now. Now, let's be clear. Rob Domofsky did some great reporting today. And as it turns out, the media, because we did not know to ask, because Aaron Rodgers lied and misled, when following up on whether or not he is, in fact, vaccinated, the media has now been told that the NFL and the team have known all along and have treated him all along as an unvaccinated member of the league and that he requested an alternate treatment prior to the start of training camp, petitioning the NFL for that treatment to allow him to get considered as the same as someone who had gotten the vaccinations. Lengthy back and forth, expectations spoke, spoken with, with an infectious disease consultant, the players union, etc. They heard the case. They said no. You will be considered unvaccinated. So he should be following all the protocols. And to that point, Chris Canty said this. In the eyes of the NFL, he's an unvaccinated player. And so he's responsible for following the protocols that come along with that to keep his teammates safe, to keep the coaching staff safe, to keep all of the medical staff, the equipment managers safe, but also the media members that have a job to do that he engages on a daily basis safe. And the fact that he did none of those things – is the part that's most disturbing to me, and that's why I feel like the NFL has got to step in for Aaron Rodgers to knowingly fly in the face of all of those different protocols and kind of do what he wants to do when it comes to a virus that's claimed over 700,000 American lives. That part about it is unacceptable to me, and Roger Goodell and the Green Bay Packers organization have to step in and do something about it. Yeah, Fitz, initial reports were, oh, you know, he's followed all the procedures and protocols with an unvaccinated player in the team facilities. And then people said, wait a minute, hold on. That includes media availability, which is press conferences, which is inside team facilities, which is indoors. And rules are unvaccinated players have to be masked at all times for that. If you look at, for instance, Carson Wentz, who has confirmed that he's unvaxxed. He has always worn a media when speaking, a mask when speaking to media indoors. And Aaron Rodgers, throughout the season, including the presser in question in August, is unmasked in a room full of media. I, but that's the thing. Like, the NFL's already basically released a statement saying they're looking into it, but this is on clubs to enforce. At the end of the day, once the NFL ruled on a player, like, we're talking about the NFL that finds players every single week for not having their socks, socks up the right way. Right, like, they, right. they are literally looking at you on the sidelines to look at your sock height. 
and then they see an MVP caliber superstar face of the league standing up and they know specifically he is not following their collectively bargained guidelines between the players and the players association and the teams and they do nothing about it like that's as weak as it could possibly get from the NFL. Especially when the Packers have put other unvaccinated players on Zoom instead of in-person media sessions. The Packers are not unaware of the rules that Spain and Fitz by the way Sarah Spain Jason Fitz represented by Progressive Insurance. They're not unaware of the rules. They are electing, in in my opinion, what has felt like a protection for him. Because if he were to be on Zoom, if he were to be wearing a mask indoors, there would have been a question. Hey, wait a minute. Why are you following these protocols? These are the protocols of unvaccinated. Are you unvaccinated? Or if the NFL had announced Aaron Rodgers had been fined X amount for violating, which we've seen previously this season fits. Remember, there has been video footage because all of these facilities now have cameras indoors so that they can actually catch when somebody is violating protocol and players have been fined for that, for not wearing a mask in spaces that they were required to. Well, guess what? Somehow Aaron Rodgers has done this all season long and neither the Packers nor the NFL have said or done anything about it. Why? That is what we need an answer to. And that is not to take the responsibility off Aaron Rodgers for the decisions that he's made, which include, by the way, and I know personally, some media members who may have been in those rooms with him who are currently battling things like cancer, why he would be doing that in violation of every single protocol that's been put in place, millions of dollars spent on deciding when and where and how and why to protect against spread, and why he decided that didn't apply to him. That's Thunder the thing we the need to guns. figure out. We gotta yeah. come, they've got to come down on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers both with the thunder of the gods. Yeah, we'll get into more of this later, and we'll hear from Matt LaFleur, who really was very thoughtful today. I'm just kidding. He wasn't at all in responding to this. We'll get to that, but we are going to get to the Braves, the worst regular season record of any playoff team, and they are now champions of the world. We will give you the spotlight, Atlanta. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I promise I'm going to try not to make too many Cubs references, but whatever a team happens to win a World Series, particularly on, I don't know, November 2nd. Jorge Soler's on your team. Brings me back. Anytime a team wins the World Series with a grounder that gets thrown out at first and the player jumps up and down and then puts the ball in his back pocket, I can't help but think of Anthony Tony, Anthony Rizzo. And um, you know what, Fitz? I'm going to make this about the Braves. We're going we're gonna to make this about the Braves somehow. It's Bane and Fitz. <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I'm just, you know, in my feels, reminiscing about five years ago when the Cubs won it all. But this is about the Braves, a team that beat a number of teams with so much better records in the regular season, with so many more Cy Young Award winners and MVPs and cheaters, you know, all the things that so many teams (laughs) had that they did not. And yet here we are celebrating an incredible accomplishment, I think, I saw that there were 88 combined seasons from the major men's pro sports in Atlanta that went winless, uh, championless until this. So uh, an incredible feat for the Braves. And the first person I thought of Fitz last night when they they closed it out and won, I don't know about you, but for me it was L. Duncan, who Mm. has fought off the demons of the Falcons, of her Georgia team. I know that she's more of a Broncos fan, but she gets associated with all things failure in Atlanta and she was on Canty and Golick Jr. talk about how it feels a little weird to win. The face of our franchise didn't play. And we won a World Series. Mostly because they made these off-season trades for these dudes that were a bunch of cast off. And it just, 
it's nuts. And Charlie Morton went down in game one, and it didn't matter. And Max Fried looked like he was about to get hurt in the beginning of that game, too. And it's like, I just kept waiting on the other shoe to drop, and it never did. And I don't know what that feels like, but I know that, I hope anyway, it's given Atlanta the swag and confidence to enjoy these next rides. I love her joy in that, by the way. She was, you know, (laughs) posting on social media in tears. And all I kept thinking through that process is she was holding herself better than uh, together, better than I ever would if the Raiders actually won a Super Bowl. Right. Like there's this (laughs) moment of fandom that we we see all the time. And, you know, not just for Elle, but like Harry Douglas and Trevor Scales, like so many people in my life are big Braves fans. Mm -hmm. And seeing this moment, big Atlanta fans, I think that was the biggest part about it. It wasn't just the Braves. It's Atlanta as a city going through everything they've gone through to try and get a championship. I know they have an MLS championship before everybody tweets me. I, I understand that. But when you talk about the major sports that everybody talks about, they haven't been able to get it done in so long that this was that sort of collective sigh that it felt like the entire city needed, not just the Braves. That's part of what makes it cool. It does. Absolutely. And what's also cool about it is how unlikely it feels. You know, I think we start a lot of seasons bemoaning the inevitability. Oh, well, the Chiefs are going to win again. Well, they didn't. Oh, well, the big three and the Nets, that's unfair. They're going to win. Well, they didn't. Right? We have these expectations. That's kind of how it felt with the Dodgers and the Yankees. And instead, it was the Braves. Tim Kirkchen was on SportsCenter with SVP last night talking about that story. This is a great, great story that the Braves wrote this year. They were under 500 for 126 days this year. They lost Ronald Acuna Jr. on July the 10th. They didn't get over 500 until August the 6th. And then they beat a 95-win team, a 105-win team, and then a 95-win team. They out-homered the Astros 11-2 here in the World Series and won it for the first time since 1995. Sorry, Scott. This is why baseball is the best game ever. That the only team that made the playoffs without winning 90 games ends up winning the World Series. That simply can't happen in the other sports. And that's why baseball is so beautiful. Oh, I love hearing Kirkshin give his love letters to baseball. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet is hurt in a car accident, Progressive pays up to $1,000 in vet expenses with free pet coverage. Visit Progressive.com. What did you like about these scenes? It was easy to deduce this to a cheaters versus good guys, or in the case of a lot of storylines around this, it was about the chop and some of the changes that maybe need to take place in Atlanta. But there were a lot of really good stories, like Freddie Freeman being on this team for years, pushing and pushing to try to help bring a title to them. Uh, the, The guys that they acquired at the trade deadline, Jock Peterson's pearls, maybe we might just be those MFers. What, what, what stood out to you? <laughs> Look, I, I think the Charlie Morton thing is still amazing to me. Let's remember that he threw, right. you know, what, what was 16 pitches on a broken leg? And then all of a sudden actually was like, sorry, I couldn't keep going, which was astounding to me. And it was a sort of the World Series personified the way the entire season went in the sense that there were so many times we just rode off the Braves and all they kept doing was Mm kind of doing their thing. And we got to that point where Morton was out and even talking to our great uh, producer Stosh as we were doing Spain and Fitz last week one night. And I was saying, hey, do the Braves still have a chance? It's like, well, without Morton, it just doesn't feel like it. And every time we turned around and were like, nope, it's done for the Braves. All they did was just keep winning, and to see them win in such an electric way—I mean, to to, to be up—you uh, blinked, and it was seven nothing last night. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, I'm like, my God, this is—they're handing it to Houston in Houston to win a World Series. So I, I think it was the number of times that we gave up on this team, and it didn't matter to any of them. That I think is really inspiring. 
I mentioned Jorge Soler. He was on the Cubs World Series team, and they won on the exact same day, which is pretty cool for him. He's only the second player born in Cuba to win a World Series MVP, the third player to win MVP in the World Series after playing for another team in the same season, um, and then the sixth with a three with a three go ahead homer uh, home run in a single World Series. So uh, Jorge Soler came up huge. Freddie Freeman came up huge. And it was really fun to see the enthusiasm. He almost couldn't find the words last night. Here is a little bit of Freddie, uh, as we like to call him, Frederick, in the postgame presser. It felt real good because when the ball is hit, you know it's going to shortstop with the trajectory and all that stuff. But I didn't know if Danger was going to throw it a second or not. But when I got the first and turned and he started throwing it to me, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to catch the last out of the World <laughs> Series. So pretty special. Um, and I, you guys probably seen the video. I put it immediately into my back pocket. Because when we won the NLCS, I just jumped up and just let the ball fly out. So I wasn't going to do it this time. So um, pretty, pretty cool to catch the last out. It's such a human moment, Sarah. Like the way he reacts to that, just sort of again, it speaks to who the Braves felt like they were. Like they felt like they were just having fun playing, and it felt like they were so natural and relaxed. And that's one thing that I, I felt like Braves fans in the last game last night were more uh, tight than Braves players were going into the game because everybody kept saying Atlanta's going to Atlanta, and like it didn't feel like the players had that on their minds at all. It was really inspiring. Well, and that's what I said, and it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. When I was covering the Cubs World Series run and people kept bringing up the drought, I said, listen, it's not that the players aren't aware of that and don't know the pressure of trying to put an end to the longest drought in organized sport, but that the longest tenured player on the Cubs that time was five years. And so people were bringing, you know, 80-year-olds were bringing eight decades of pain and suffering to the conversation for 20-somethings who had been with the team for five years at the longest. And it just felt like we were trying to put onto them the weight of our years of disappointment. And that's what I felt about this team, too. It wasn't about the Falcons. It wasn't about the Bulldogs. It wasn't about anything else Atlanta. They weren't bringing that to the plate with them or the mound. So it was really cool to see them, you know, figure that out and get it done. Uh, really quickly, you have to figure something out and get it done. And that is Major League Baseball Bachelor. You have whittled it down to three teams. The Reds, the Brewers, and the Yankees. So we're going to need a representative from each of those teams who will best represent that squad, that city, best convince you to choose them. So I'm going to put it at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. Uh, We need nominations for representatives from Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and New York City to help convince you to choose their squad. So we're going to put that out there. We're going to get that from our listeners. And then coming up, we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers' positive test for COVID and how Packers fans are reacting to the news. The local perspective coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests appear on the Goodyear Hotline. And we're going to head straight to that Goodyear Hotline to get some expertise on the big story that everybody's talking about right now. Jason Wilde joins us from ESPN Milwaukee, ESPN Wisconsin. Uh, Jason, always appreciate the time. And, you know, obviously right now we I would think we'd be having you on to talk about the success of the Packers. But today we're having you on to talk about the drama around the quarterback situation as we find out now that uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to miss at least this Sunday's game because of COVID-19 protocol, which became the revelation of most of us that he's not vaccinated. So what at what point did you figure out that Aaron Rodgers was not vaccinated? Well, I look back on the way he responded to that direct question back in August, 
and he was asked if he was vaccinated, and he said, yeah, I've been immunized. And I swear to you guys, you know, I, I've obviously known him a long time. We did a radio show together once upon a time. People love to give me the, uh, the mantle of, oh, you know Aaron Rodgers better than anyone. Well, with that, which I don't really like that mantle, but with that, I should have known better, and I should have followed up because when he said immunized, I thought, you know what, that's, and he never says anything accidentally, ever. He's one of the smartest human beings I've ever known. There was a reason why he said immunized and not vaccinated. And I, I look back on that, and while I think he was deceitful in his answer, I should have done a better job and said, wait a minute, what do you mean by immunized? Does that mean you haven't had one of the three CDC-required vaccines? Again, I believe your vaccine status, I get it, it's private, whatever, you make your decisions. But this affects, and this has been my argument from the whole, for the whole time, Jason, whether you're Aaron Rodgers or somebody else, there is a competitive disadvantage if you're unvaccinated. And the Packers are now going to experience it because, as you said, he's not only out for Sunday, but there's the distinct possibility he won't be able to play against Seattle in two weeks. So he's put himself and his team in peril as a result. Jason, I, I agree with, for the most part, with everything you said. I, I do not want to uh, put any blame on any media member for not parsing those words, even if we know that Aaron Rodgers has a tendency to speak in specific and intentional ways when he wants to obfuscate or when he wants to point fingers or whatever else. He said, yeah, and then everything he said after that was meant to make us believe that he was vaccinated. So it is not anyone's fault but his that we all believe that he was. And it is not anyone's fault but him and the Packers and the league that he has spent the last eight or nine weeks longer than that, really, because back in August at that very presser, he should have had a mask on indoors with media. It is all of their fault that he has carried on without following the protocols of an unvaccinated player. What are you hearing around the league and the Packers decision making in not following up, fining announcing, calling out Rodgers. The only thing I can think of is that they all wanted to protect him from this very truth coming out because had it been mentioned or had he started wearing a mask or been on Zoom instead of in person, we all would have asked that very question. Are you vaccinated? Yeah, Sarah, you're exactly right about that. And the NFL did say in a statement earlier today that they are aware of the situation and they will be looking into it. Now, I was told today that around his teammates and the coaches, he has followed the protocol, which requires him to be masked at all times, like Alan Lazard and Devondre Campbell, who are also unvaccinated on their team. But unlike Alan Lazard and Devondre Campbell, who have only met with us via Zoom, Aaron Rodgers has been in the media auditorium without a mask on. The media auditorium, last I checked, is an indoor space inside Lambeau Field, so that is a violation. But there are other potential violations here as well. He's traveled with the team. According to the NFL rules, he is supposed to travel separately to games. Once arriving in the visiting city that they are playing in, he is not supposed to be able to leave the hotel, and he has limitations on what he's able to do there. Also, outside of the facility with his teammates, there are limitations on what kind of congregating he can do with his teammates. And we all saw the John Wick costume and the kiss Mm -hmm. on the dog and all the pictures. And he was with a bunch of his teammates for the Halloween party. So there are a variety of potential violations of those protocols that are coming down. And and if I remember correctly from Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com, last year when the Baltimore Ravens were found to have not been following protocols, 
they were fined a quarter of a million dollars as a team. I would think there would be fines both for the team and for the player once these allegations or once these uh, issues are proven. We're talking to Jason Wildey on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, you know, Jason, I, I guess call me skeptical here, but the league says they're aware of the situation. I mean, this is a league that finds players for having socks that aren't the right height. They've seen a player they know is not vaccinated at every press conference. How the hell are they just now becoming yeah. aware of the situation? Yeah, Jake, that's true. I mean, think about it. How many times has Aaron Rodgers spoken after games? How many times has the NFL on their social media channels or on uh, their website or on the NFL network run sound bites from him talking to us uh, or shown him on the sideline uh, not wearing a mask? I mean, you know, Kirk Cousins has come under criticism for this. Carson Wentz has come under criticism for this. I can only assume that whether it was the team or the league or both, uh, they were concerned about making the NFL MVP look bad. Now, again, there is the layer of this where he had this so-called homeopathic uh, treatment that he petitioned the league to have considered as a viable vaccine and have him be in the vaccinated group. That was denied. We don't know when he was finally told that. My understanding is he had not gotten final word from the league when he used the immunized word. But again, that doesn't change the fact that he has been in violation for certain. No two ways about it. Since the league informed him, look, your appeal or whatever you want to call it is being denied. You are officially, by our view, unvaccinated and you are required to follow the vaccination protocols. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Jason Wilde of ESPN Milwaukee. You can follow him at Jason J. Wilde on Twitter. So we know that he lied and misled. We know that he has carried on for the entirety of the season in violation of protocols. We know that he has been disrespectful, if not to teammates and members of the staff, because they at least were aware of his status, certainly to media and anyone else with whom he came in contact who was misled into believing that he was vaccinated. Knowing all of that, I have heard a lot of different things on my social media from Packers fans today uh, running the gamut of tons of excuses to real disappointed. What are you hearing up in Milwaukee? Yeah, obviously there's a lot of fans that are angry. Uh, there are a lot of fans who are saying, look, this team is 7-1. and one. You're in position to get the number one overall seed. Because remember, you get a buy. only one team in each yeah. conference gets a buy. Right? It's that's huge. really valuable. There's a big difference. Mm. And so that's really important. And so there's that. Uh, certainly there's also the crowd that uh, has different feelings about vaccines. But then I think the biggest part of this is that I don't know if Rodgers had the capital with fans for whatever reason that, say, Brett Favre did. Because, God, it feels like Brett Favre got away with pretty much everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he still did does some somehow. Things. And, 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 yeah, right? And, and there, are, there has always been a segment of this fan base that has never liked Rodgers. And I think that group sees this as his comeuppance. But I I would actually look to an even bigger picture, Sarah, and that is, you know, I I know Rodgers was on with McAfee yesterday on SiriusXM, and he was talking about Brian Gutekunst in very glowing terms about the conversations he and the GM had had. They're winning. He's playing well. He's feeling better about being in Green Bay. And the narrative until today had been, hey, Maybe it's not over after this year. Maybe this isn't the last dance. 
Maybe he's seeing the things he wanted to see from this team and the front office that will make him want to stay. And now, if I'm the general manager or I'm the head coach, he's put me in a really awkward predicament. And yes, but haven't they the known that all along? Responsibility. Right. Yeah. Haven't they and known the that all are, along? They, they were just all crossing their fingers this wouldn't happen. Correct. And the and the there's no doubt, Sarah, that the team has been complicit in that to some degree. I don't deny that at all. But the happy-go-lucky story of, hey, maybe things are okay, these are the kinds of things right. that I think the team finds frustrating about him. All of his frustrations about the team, this is an instance where, you know, he did not handle this correctly at all. And now he's put his team in a difficult spot, and that changes how we view this whole narrative of, hey, maybe Aaron Rodgers will come back after all. Now I'll be curious to see how this affects what the future looks like. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Jason J. Willie. Willie, we could spend the whole time talking to you, man. I appreciate you carving out the time for us. I know it's slammed. Appreciate the work you do and the great insight, my friend. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, I'd stay with you, but we got fifth-grade girls basketball practice to go Very important. All right, guys. Check their vaccine passports. (laughs) Double-check. Make sure no one's holding. (laughs) That's great stuff from Jason. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, All right, we're going to stay in the NFL. Things have gone to bad for worse, from bad to worse for the Browns. We'll explain it all next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by Sarah Spain, fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Sarah, uh, by the way, uh, a great podcast this week uh, for you. Thank you, Sarah McLaughlin. I mean, that was that was a big one. But uh, the only thing that I regret is I didn't get to talk to you first because I've always wondered how she feels now about having arms of an angel like uh, be such a sad song associated yeah. with. So, so I much. actually talked to her about that in our little pre-podcast chat where we go over some of the things we want to talk yeah. about, and I tread lightly a little bit. And the way she responded made it feel a little sensitive. Like she's so proud of the good work that it's done and how ubiquitous it is. Is a testament to how often those commercials run and how much work has been done in 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 terms of rescue dogs. Uh, but it seemed a little bit like she's a little sick of the jokes, so I just stayed away from that. But we yeah. did get into a bunch of stuff on the pod that I had not heard about, including her stalker. She also saved the life of DMC from Run DMC with that song. He literally told her that it was like he, he considered it a sign because he was considering suicide. And then he heard that song and he and he turned himself around. Um, she, during her performance, talked about how the song Adia is about her getting together with and eventually marrying her best friend's husband. Like, there was so much good had stuff. No yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea that. So that the, the, the thing about the stalker song is um, I'd never listened to that song Um like thinking about it that way it just sounded very romantic but if you listen to the song possession when it's like hold you so close i'll take your breath away wipe away the tears closure no it's about like murdering her that's that's interesting because hold you down and kiss you so hard i'll take your breath away like kill you that's the same thing that the police have said about uh every breath you take like yeah. people thought it was a a moving love song, and he's like, no, it's about like a creepy stalker. So yeah. that's 
That is interesting to me. Anyway, and, good podcast. Everyone yeah, should listen to it. I, I was very envious of the guest, and uh, you always do great work on that podcast Thank because you. you're awesome and because awesome people come on with you. So Thank uh, you. that's see, that's teamwork. You all like that? That's how <laughs> teamwork works. And that's a lesson that really, frankly, the Browns could use right now because it feels like everything's crumbling around them, at least when it comes to the relationship specifically between the team and Odell Beckham Jr. And we saw that sort of blow up uh, over the course of the last couple of days because of Odell Beckham Sr. and posting videos on social media showing the times that uh, Jr. is open and the ball didn't go to him. And I think there's some interesting things here. Like, number one, do we really think that Odell Beckham Sr. edited that video, put the music into that video, got all that done by himself? Because if he did, he's far better than most people in his age group at doing those sorts of things. But above and beyond that, what message does it send to the rest of the team? And then you've got a situation where everybody's going to be asking these questions. And to that end, Baker Mayfield was asked after practice about the entire controversy and, frankly, about Odell Sr. wanting Jr.'s success and posting in that way. This is what he said. I can't exactly speculate exactly as to who he was speaking on behalf of. I think a lot of it comes from his father perspective. Um, I think, you know, obviously, naturally, he wants his son to succeed. I can't blame him for that. I want Odell to succeed. And that's, that's where we were at, and, uh, or at least so I thought. So that's, that's all I really have about that one. Can we also just it, point out, though, that we can throw this onto Odell Beckham Sr. all we want, but I'm sorry, that old man in his 50s didn't cut up all 22 film and pair it with music and go through and find all the... I mean, you think that was... You think that was really the dad? Yeah, and, and all of this, I mean, even at the end when Baker said, and that's about all I can say on that one, like, there's such a, that's such a poignant way to end something because you're just like, yeah, that's all I got on it. I mean, it, it speaks to, there. this is obviously difficult. And by the way, for anyone that hasn't seen the no, the news, Odell Beckham Jr. has basically been uh, told to stay at home right now while they try and work it all out. And I was watching you earlier today, Sarah, on Debatable, which is one of our great live stream shows that you can now watch every single day. And uh, you were made a great point about the fact that, you know, yesterday there was the opportunity to trade Odell Beckham Jr. and get value in return. The team elected not to do that. So to send him home today, I understand not, you know, hey, I want to get proper value. You're not getting any value if you just ship him home today and make him sit there. It doesn't make a lot of sense from the Browns that they didn't try and get this worked out yesterday. That was what's so confusing to me. There was obviously a coordinated push from Odell leading up to the trade deadline that included LeBron James tweeting about it. He's not a Browns fan. He he wants Odell to go to the Cowboys. That's his team. So he got LeBron tweeting about it. He's got the video getting put out, whether it was his dad's making or someone else. And his dad was just the vessel for it. This was all coordinated to get him out of there to somewhere else. There were media talking heads like myself and others saying, yes, he should be traded. Go get something for your defense. This is over. It's not going to work. And all of that did not result in him getting traded. And so one day later, when now you have no options, this is what you're doing. He shows up to practice and you say, you're excused. You make an announcement that he's essentially shut down. I don't know what they do from here because if they waive him, they're they're giving him away to another team that needs wide receiver help for nothing. Potentially an opponent that's someone that's in, in, in competition with them for playoff spot and otherwise. And they can't just not play him. They can't just tell him to stay home. There's definitely a grievance there for the NFLPA. So they've put themselves in such a weird position, and I can't imagine that there wasn't a single team out there willing to give them something for him yesterday. So what happened between now and then? Especially because 
you could talk about how it hasn't worked out between him and Baker. You could talk about how he's not the player he used to be, but he's good enough to be somewhere, especially places like Michael Thomas is now out for the year. You've got injuries at other places. He's good enough to be somewhere, and we have not heard publicly that he's disruptive, that it's a problem. So why are there no other teams that were interested, or were they simply looking for something they weren't going to get? And if that's the case, they really blew it because now they don't want him and they didn't get anything for him. It's hard to, for me to believe that we live in a world where Antonio Brown gets chance after chance after chance because he can still contribute, and nobody wanted to give Odell Beckham Jr. a right. chance. Right, different skill set at this that. point. I mean, yeah, you, you, sure. you have to admit, o- o- Odell doesn't have quite what AB has still, but it's still more than players that are getting opportunities and reps. So that's the thing I don't understand about how this all went down and why it came to a head today specifically. That wasn't the only interesting nugget coming out about the trade deadline, by the way, yesterday as we broke all of that down. Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Is it looks like in an attempt to get everything settled in a way that Deshaun Watson could be traded from Houston to Miami, one of the things, according to multiple reports, that the Dolphins were trying to get accomplished was essentially a settlement on all of the existing civil charges for Deshaun so that they could be assured of where that stood in order to get it done. And it seems weird to have a team, Sarah, come in and say, okay, we've agreed to the three first-round draft picks. Now we just need you to settle all of this mm-hmm. right now as, so that we can get you on this team. That, that's sort of a staggering admission, should it be true, of what they were trying to accomplish to bring him over to Miami. Well, that is what Tony Busby, the attorney who represents 22 of the women, uh, said. He claimed that the Dolphins wanted the women to reach settlements with Watson pushed for at least one to sign an NDA and that the Dolphins requested that so that they'd have a better idea of what might happen with the case going forward before they sunk any assets into Deshaun Watson. Now, Chris Greer, the GM of the Dolphins, adamantly denied this, says it's categorically false and ridiculous, flat wrong, said he was pissed off by it. But it seems like a very strange thing to make up that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross asked for, quote, contingencies or that they wouldn't have some sort of demand like that in a case like this if they were going to invest a whole bunch in a quarterback. I I believe it. I I do. I I believe that that's what happened. Yeah, and it it just shows you how convoluted that entire situation is and will continue to be. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance is proud to support veterans with its annual Keys to Progress vehicle program giveaway program now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. The latest from Vegas next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. You can just tweet at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, D, all of the above. You can tweet us. Get on that. We've also asked you guys to help us in our major league and my major league bachelor process. Narrowed it down to three teams, Cincinnati, uh, the Yankees, and Milwaukee. One of those is going to be my diehard. Oh, no one will know. Uh, what, what? What? Huh? Terrible choices. No, they're, they're great choices, Sarah. They're spectacular mm-hmm. choices. Took a real process to get us narrowed down to these three. And uh, through that process, now we're asking you guys to chime in. Give us an expert that you think should come in, uh, come on the show, and talk to us about to each of those teams so that they can help me make my final rose handing out decision. All of that, by the way, will change when the A's move to Vegas. And then I'll go all in wow, on that. because you can't already do this. You have to pretend you're going to stay engaged. Well, it's a reality TV process. Like, mm-hmm. nobody really believes it's real, right? That's, that's what I keep telling myself. We're brought to you by Goodyear. Make 
making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Speaking of Vegas, everybody knows my Raiders fandom. Everybody knows my Vegas fandom. Everybody knows my Vegas Raiders fandom. I've lived a lot of weird days uh, as a Raiders fan. I've lived heavy days as a Raiders fan. I don't think I've ever had a more strange and emotional and sad day that I can remember as a fan than I did yesterday, just going through the entire gambit of emotions uh, as we see the news for Henry Ruggs III, who, for anyone that hasn't seen, has now been charged uh, with uh, with the DUI resulting in a homicide uh, as uh, he was involved in a car accident that killed somebody in Las Vegas. And these are incredibly difficult topics to talk about because obviously the most important thing here is the victim in the homicide. It's the victim in the crash. Uh, that, uh, you know, she lost her life. And that is absolutely the most important thing about any of this. But we will have conversation about what it means for everything else. And to do that, I don't think that there are a lot of guys that cover the team more fairly and more reasonably throughout an entire process. And Vic Tafer of The Athletic, he joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Vic, I know you've been slammed and you've done a great job covering all of this. I appreciate your time hanging out with us. Obviously, uh, I, I keep thinking about how even for fans, it's a difficult day to just negotiate. You have a sense of the players. How are the players reacting to this entire situation? I think they're all kind of numb. I think uh, I talked to texted a bunch of them yesterday, and uh, you know, a bunch of them were crying. A bunch of them just kind of you know, stared out in space for the whole day. I just think uh, it's uh, it's you know it's a horrible horrible tragedy. I think um, you mentioned the victim. That's where at the focus on, but also Henry. I mean, I think is. Um, He's a good kid. He was very popular in the locker room. He was a guy who was kind of taking on a leadership role. He uh, worked hard this offseason to get better. Uh, he was always a speed guy, but he worked hard in getting some weight and being more physical on his routes. He was, he was coming on. I just think, um, obviously, he was on top of the world, you know. Um, he was at top golf that night with his friends and uh, made a horrible decision, and, uh, and, and here we are. <clears throat> It seems pretty clear that uh, he will be going through a number of things that will prevent him from being an asset or available to the Raiders. But regardless, that decision has to be made. That announcement has to be made. Did you hear anything about the team's decision-making around the announcement that they made during that World Series game that they were officially cutting him? Yeah, they're pretty tight with uh, the Las Vegas police. So I'm sure they heard you know, the, the things you heard this morning about the, uh, the toxicology level and the, how fast he was going. I'm sure they heard that yesterday. And I think uh, they probably had already decided maybe to move on. But I just think that, uh, that evidence is, is so damning that I think you can't do anything um, if you're a team. But you have to, you have to release him. You can't, uh, you can't go on with him as, as part of your organization. And just to clarify for those who haven't heard it, uh, 156 miles per hour. Uh, was how fast he was driving just seconds before that fatal car crash, and he had at least a double uh, the legal limit blood alcohol content for Nevada um, when he rear-ended the woman um, who died alongside her dog. And, and Vic, I mean, you, you mentioned being tight with the Las Vegas police. I think it's an important thing for everybody to be aware of. There are systems in place from the NFLPA that will allow players to not make these decisions do you know specifically what systems are in place for the Raiders and their players to help them? Well, definitely, it's a twenty-four-seven car service. I mean, you can, NFLPA has arranged it so wherever you are, anywhere in the country, you can, you can call a number and they'll come get you. And I think the Raiders have also told them. I know they have told their players several times about being smart. And if you need, you know, don't ask it to call. We have you know, security guys who are going to pick you up. I'm sure you could have called a coach or a player when they came and got them. I think they've all they've been. I've been preached to about, you know, the danger. not just Vegas, the dangers of anywhere. I'm drinking too much and partying too much and, and making stupid decisions. So um, he obviously knew. I mean, he definitely knew what um, 
But you know, 1.61, I guess he wasn't in the clear mind. I don't want to make excuses for him, but obviously he made the wrong decision. And uh, and so, yeah, he definitely had the uh, information out there and the, and the numbers to call to, to, to get a ride. And Spain and Fitz, Harris Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. Talking to Vic Tafer on the Goodyear Hotline, writes for The Athletic about the Raiders. You know, there was a lot of conversation about the way the team managed to bounce back from the news of the Gruden emails and his firing or, I guess, release or departure or whatever they termed it. Um, obviously, that loss to the Bears right afterwards, um, not not a team that was together. But after that, with an interim coach, with all the conversations still swirling, coming together, this is not as easy as that to to, to find a way to put aside and focus on football. Are, are there folks that are there from the outside or even within the team to be resources to the players as they struggle with this, as they grieve this, and as they try to get their minds back on football? Yeah, the team has made counselors available. They've they told the guys, you know, if you need anything at all as far as talking to someone or anything you need, be sure and reach out. And they realize that some players are closer to him than others were, and some are you – know, everyone's hurting, but I'm sure some are even worse off. So, yeah, I have no idea how they're going to be able to play a game on Sunday. I know, like – the first time with Gruden, you know, had the same staff in place, had continuity, so I think they could kind of just focus on football. But I don't know how, uh, you know, like, like Derek Hart today said, I don't know how you focus on football. It's going to be hard. I mean, it's, like, um, it's just kind of hard to still the process that, you know, like I said, they all saw this guy on Monday at uh, at team meetings, and so and here we are on Wednesday, and um, yeah, his life is over, and so is so somebody else's. That's such a hard part about it, Vic, and the timing of it was there's never a good time for any of this. I, I need people to understand that. But from a team standpoint, if they were going to try and figure out anything to do personnel-wise, the timing was difficult because they were up against the trade deadline. Have you gotten any sense on if the Raiders tried to do anything or did they just sort of uh, try and get through the day? Yeah, I think they got through the day. I'm not sure there were any great options out there. And, and I mean – I, I, you know, you mentioned it, it's hard to talk football. I still don't really. People ask me what they can do next, and, you know, about Odell Beckham, yada, yada. I, it was hard for me to focus on the football part, but I will say this. They're very high on Zay Jones. They've been high on Zay Jones uh, from, from last year. He got in the industry this year. I think um, people know, like, John Gruden and, and Derek Carr have a lot of sound bites about how crazy about him they are, but I'll say this. Greg Olson, the new coordinator, actually the old coordinator, but the new play caller, likes him even more. So I just think they, they're confident that Zay Jones – will be able to step in and, and, and fill that role. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Vic Taper, Taper about the Raiders right now. Um, obviously, there will be a lot more conversation about what ends up happening to Henry Ruggs going forward. Um, but as for this team, Derek Carr has been the one that has had to be the through line for what happens with Ruggs, what happens with Gruden, the conversations around both. Does it feel like this has, you know, distracted him prevented him from from his usual focus has it instead brought out more of a leadership role it, it feels like an immense amount of stress to put on his shoulders to have to come out and speak to the press about these things uh, over and over yeah today he said he was you know, times, a few times today was kind of you know, speechless and lost words and took about the emotions and how he, he cried i just think um He's he's trying to focus on football. He's trying to tell the guys to focus on football, and I just don't know how. You know, we'll have to wait and see how that, how that plays out on Sunday. But I think he's definitely shown he's a great leader this year, even when the years passed, and more so this year. I think the team looks up to him. So uh, if anyone can get them going, I think him and, and the other side of the ball, Max Crosby and Yannick you know, Ngakwe, have done a great job this year as far as being leaders. So I think those three guys have a lot on their plate to get these guys, you know, 
somehow focusing on, on playing football on Sunday. Vic, I appreciate your time. We appreciate your transparency. You've done a great job trying to uh, put all of this into words over the last 24 hours. Really appreciate you joining us today. All right, guys. Take care. That's Vic Tafer. You can read him on The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Raiders, Spain, and Fitz. Uh, th- that's not the only news in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID. How will this impact the Packers moving forward? We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. A lot of people reacting to the Major League Bachelor selections that remain. Uh, most people said you should remain single if you've whittled it down <laughs> to New York, Cincinnati, and Milwaukee. I don't blame them. But I'm throwing out some suggestions on Twitter. Representatives who could come on the show to convince Fitz to make his final decision. Maybe uh, Jesus and Merrow for the Yankees. I know uh, oh. Darius Rucker, Andy Roddick, big fans of Cincinnati, Tom Waddle. I have not uh, zeroed in on anyone from Milwaukee yet, so I got to do a little more digging on these celebrity notable fans of the Brewers. But we'll grab a representative from each team and try to convince Fitz to make a final decision sometime this week. But the big news of today, in addition to the Braves closing out the baseball season, winning the World Series against the Astros last night, and then immediately and promptly not getting any love for it, because Aaron Rodgers stole all the headlines. Aaron Rodgers testing positive for COVID-19. Unavailable for their game against the Chiefs because he is unvaccinated, which was a surprise to everybody but the Packers in the league, who have treated him as unvaccinated since the beginning of the season when he petitioned to have his own homeopathic treatment treated like a vaccination. They said nope. And now we are trying to unravel why he spent the whole season doing press conferences without masks and behaving according to what protocols we imagined would be for vaccinated players. Chris Canty on Canty and Gola Jr. talked about potential punishment for Rodgers and the Packers. You know what? I'm not sure where this falls, whether it's a fine, whether it's a suspension, but it needs to be something that's heavy-handed from the NFL, if for no other reason, to send a message to everybody else around the National Football League about how they're going to handle COVID-19 and how they're going to handle vaccinations moving forward. And in addition to that, there was a lot of confusion at first, Fitz, about just which protocols he was violating. Here's Rob Domovsky, our ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter on Greeny earlier today. Carson Wentz is unvaccinated, right? That's right. been that's been noted. And every time I've seen him on the sideline, he's wearing a mask, right? When he comes off the field, mm. he puts a mask on. When he goes to shake hands after the game, he has a mask on. Rodgers hasn't done any of that. Um, in, in the public. I don't know what he's doing behind closed doors. Um, unvaccinated players would, will have to wear masks in the facility when they're in meetings and things like that. Um, I, we don't know what he's doing there, but when he's in the public, you know, and, and in places just like Carson Wentz is wearing a mask, Rogers is not wearing it. Can, can I just ask Sarah, answer like, 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 why, why are we presuming that he's doing anything right behind closed doors? Because I don't, at this point, not what at all. we know is right. The, the organization is aware of what the NFL decided his vaccination status was. They made, the, the organization is aware that the league's aware of that the league's done nothing about him being at press conferences with no mask on. So they've already said that they're holding him to a different standard. And the, basically the league is saying it's on the team, but they haven't punished the team to mm-hmm. this point, even though again, it's the same league that punishes you for not having your socks the right way on game day. And at the same time, you're talking about the fact that the the team is going to ask me to believe that behind closed doors they're doing it all right. Like at this point, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, show me the camera footage. Like, yeah, no, you I want me to believe anybody's being legit on it? Show me the footage. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear 
the initial first response was, oh, well, uh, he has been following all protocols for unvaccinated players while in the building. And everyone said, oh, see here, we're good. And then people were like, wait a minute. He's been indoors at pressers inside the facility, which is a clear violation we've all seen with our own eyes. And then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now that we think about it, we're going to do some more digging, right? And that's the problem, is there's no reason for us to believe the initial response, which was he's been following protocols, if the only ones we can see he has not been following. And, and this is the thing that we were talking to Jason Wilde about a couple segments ago. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Is the only reason for the Packers in the NFL to not enforce this, to not speak of it publicly, to not have announced any fines or otherwise, is because they want to protect him, because he does not want to be criticized. There is no other good reason. The Packers were happy to have him in camp and get him back after a grueling offseason where there was a lot of question about whether he would even be on the team. And they didn't want to mess with him. And they didn't want to pre- prevent him from being able to continue the, the ruse that he was vaccinated. Because it's not that he wants to be vaccinated. He just doesn't want to have to deal with criticism. He cannot stand being criticized. So the league and the Packers are just going to let him play along with this? When they have spent millions of dollars on testing and protocols and safety, when they're telling media that they're stepping into a room with a player and not not revealing that he's been misleading, that he's lied about his status. Like you pointed out, there are videos and, and, and surveillance cameras during all of this that NFL security has been doing regular collection of and reviewing for compliance with the protocols, use of masks, PPE. There will be discipline and fines, and yet we haven't seen any of it. I think part of this, too, comes back to you know something that – Jason Wilde earlier mentioned that I think is really significant, and that's the league can't pretend they weren't aware of it when they've been posting all sorts of, like, on their own social media, they post his post-game interviews, they post his footage, they post all of his mm-hmm. uh, all of his content. Like, Aaron Rodgers standing at the podium, if you do a quick Google search of NFL.com and Aaron Rodgers' press conference, you get a ton of results. So, like, they're putting it up on the site and then saying, well, either they weren't aware or they just didn't give a damn mm-hmm. until they were told they had to, which is equally sort of gross in all of this. I mean, right? I'm not one that ever buys into some of the conspiracy theorists that are out there about way, the way certain organizations are, are treated. But at the end of the day, if I owned any other NFL team, I'd be angry as hell right now looking around saying, so yeah. you're aware that this star player is not doing it. You're just not doing anything about it until you're called out about it. That's not equal treatment to all 32 franchises. Yeah, and Fitz, these policies, these protocols are not in for PR reasons. It's not, oh, well, we got away with it because people didn't know he was unvaccinated. So the only reason to enforce them is if people know. Now, this is about player safety. And again, I know we've been at it with COVID for two years at this point. And people are either going to be morons who don't listen to science and tell you that it's just the flu or try to cite some sort of survival rate, ignoring these 700,000 plus people who have died in our country alone. Those people, fine, go over there. I don't need to try to continue to speak any logic and sense into you. But for everybody else who acknowledges the very real threat that this is, the unfairness of asking players to come in and follow a set of guidelines that they have been promised in order to do their job is just as unfair as any other job if you are lying to your employees 
about whether or not the agreed upon rules are being followed. And you could accuse me of overreacting. But as I said, there is at least one media member that I know that is battling cancer who I don't know if that decision is different of whether or not to go in that room with him, knowing that he's unvaccinated, likely to carry a higher vaccine, uh, a higher viral load, more likely to spread it, more likely to suffer serious consequences. That kind of information cannot be, well, you know, if he doesn't want to share its personal decision. It's not. It's a matter of public health and it's part of the job. Yeah. And by the way, quickly, just make sure everybody understands HIPAA before they start quoting HIPAA. But at Mm. the end of the day, with all of this, uh, I I say, you know, repeatedly, I've said for months that any guys of this is my personal decision. You're part of a union that collectively bargained it. That union spoke on your behalf. That's what happens. Also, on top of all of it, you're part of a team. So everything that you do as a person puts the rest of your team at risk. So also none of these these people are doctors and only doctors have to apply to HIPAA. Yeah, that 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 is a thousand percent. That's what I was getting at with the HIPAA portion. You're a thousand percent right. Everybody, look it up before you say it. Spain and Fitz, Georgia's at the top now, but will that change as the season ramps up? We'll get into college football rankings coming up next here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests appear on the Goodyear Hotline. Last night, rankings reaction made its return to ESPN digital platforms. Michael Jr., Christine Williamson, and myself as we gave everybody the reaction to what was a chaotic night for college football fanatics as they watched the committee, a committee that has seven new members, uh, speak about what they value in this year's college football season. And that that valuation has been questioned all day. So we're going to get some expertise on it in the form of some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless to get that we're joined by Pete Futak, collegefootballnews.com. You can check it out there. Pete, always appreciate your time, my friend. There was a lot of conversation about the initial ranking, Cincinnati at six. Your thoughts on the location of the Bearcats in this first ranking? What's going on? I It's fine. Look, the, the whole reaction of, oh, my God, the committee's corrupt and the system needs to be blown up. They beat one team. They have one great win over Notre Dame. That is it. They've got nothing else. They've beaten only one other team that has a winning record, and that's a UCF squad that's a shadow of its former self without Dylan Gabriel at quarterback anymore, and nobody else. They they have got nothing on that schedule, and even Gary Barta, the head of the whole thing, just flat out said, They didn't play well against a bad Tulane team with a freshman quarterback, third-string quarterback, one win. They didn't play well against a bad Navy team. And they still got ranked number six ahead of Oklahoma, who's undefeated with nine wins, ahead of Wake Forest, and ahead of a whole lot of other teams that have won a bunch of games. That's pretty much a lot of respect for a team with a resume of a whole lot of nothing. So here's – why I get frustrated, and I am decidedly not in the college football world. It is not living in my heart like it is for so many of you. So I come at this from a place of, of mostly complete unbias. What I don't get is why we have this conversation every year when the system never changes. Cincinnati can only beat the teams on their schedule. There isn't much of a better team win than Notre Dame, and yet somehow it's still not enough, which tells us Everything we need to know, which we already knew, which was that you are judged differently than people in the Power Five. So if that's going to be the case, and if you can't schedule better teams, 
then why do we even argue about this? Just say the only teams that can make it are these teams because nobody else is going to be able to schedule a team good enough to convince anyone. Bingo. It's not about the one team, though. It's about the body shots of every single week in a power. Exactly. Like, so, th- but but if we like know that, curious. then why do we even argue it anymore? Why don't we just say this is who this is for, and we need to change the system, or otherwise we can't argue for teams that are clearly not going to get voted in. Well, but the problem with that is, then you've got to go out and obliterate teams, and so it's a couple of things when it comes to Cincinnati. The schedule isn't good enough. Look, you know, not everyone you know can date the beauty queen here. It's you, it's not everyone can just has the same schedule. It's just. That's how this is. Either you've got a Power 5 schedule or you don't. And then if you don't have a great schedule, obliterate those teams on the slate. So that's the Wake Forest argument, where they do have a Power 5 schedule, but the ACC is not that great. But they're hanging up points and bunches there. And so you had yesterday, the committee literally came out and said, okay, we're putting you at six, but beat these teams. Like, just blow them out. Like, look great doing it. There's going to have to be some style point factor here because you can't just win one game. I mean, look, it's again, like eating a, it's like getting a candy eating contest and you eat a big giant Snickers bar and someone else gets a big giant Snickers bar. And then they get like a giant, huge package of M&Ms and a, you know, a whole big thing of Reese's. And, you know, one other contestant gets dum-dums and mini Kit Kats. Like they just don't have enough things across the whole landscape of this season. So it, it's, it's what they're, the college football playoff committee's job is to judge what happened. It's not the system. They are just there to say, this is what's happening on the field. And again, Cincinnati at six, that's pretty good. They're there. They're in the mix for this thing. I love that Pete just went with candy analogies to speak in my language. Now I'm suddenly hungry. Pete Futak <laughs> from collegefootballnews.com joining us. So uh, let's get into one of the other big theories, which is that, the committee sort of protects itself by making sure that these things work out. The thought being Oklahoma's at number eight, but by putting Oklahoma State and Baylor so high, they've really given Oklahoma the necessary runway to leapfrog everybody. You buying any theory that the the committee, as they put these things together, are looking at future matchups and making sure that they can get the teams that they want into the Final Four? A thousand percent not. Uh, I've worked with these. I, I, I know it's a new committee now, but in the past... They are, it's meticulous process. It's, that's way too much thought ahead, and it's not as uh, diabolical as I think it's being made out to be. <laughs> now, uh, there's, there's misfires here because we could talk all we want. Look, there's really no argument with a lot of parts of this. There's some nitpicking to be done. Uh, I think mis- not putting Arkansas in there when you're putting in a three-loss Wisconsin, but that's either here nor there. Uh, but there's always these issues here and there, but there's always the Alabama, but because it's Alabama provision, which makes this whole thing look a little bit weird, but no, it's nothing like that because here's how this is. It's an exercise. And at the very end, did you win your power five conference championship? Did you do it by going undefeated or did you do it with one loss? If you do that, you will get in. So Cincinnati, for example, needs a bunch of multi-loss, Power Five Conference champions, which could absolutely happen this year. And for everyone else, it really is setting things up where Oklahoma State is that good. You know, they've only lost one game. Baylor's that good. They've only lost one game to Oklahoma State. So there are a lot of big games ahead. And now the flip side of that also is it's not the uh, committee's job to do that. 
it turns out to be the schedule maker's job because look at, for example, Ohio State. All their big games are right now. Look at Wake Forest. All their big games are right now. That just seems to be a coincidence. But uh, Oklahoma, they don't play Oklahoma State until the very end. So the best teams in the big rivalry games tend to be at the, in November at the end of the season, which makes it so hard uh, to get through this last month of the season unscathed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, getting the street talk from Pete Futak, collegefootballnews.com. Pete, you seem like you kind of agree with their decision-making so far based on what has happened, which is all that they are charged with judging. What did they get wrong, if anything? I, not a whole – look, they passed the Oregon-Ohio State test uh, for now. But this, the, the thing I've been warning everyone all day is that could flip. You had to put Oregon ahead of Ohio State. you got to respect that because that's the best win – probably technically by anybody all year because it was on the road. Texas A&M's win over Alabama was at home, but they're both great. But that you have to respect that great win over Ohio State. But to your point before of schedules and looking what's coming up, they also sent a message that there aren't any other Pac-12 teams in this top 25. So if Oregon wins out, their schedules look all that great. If Ohio State wins out and they just beat Penn State and they've got Michigan State coming up and they got Michigan coming up and they got whatever, probably Wisconsin or Minnesota who are both ranked coming up in the Big Ten Championship, that's a whole lot better of a schedule. And if Ohio State rips through that and obliterates everybody, while, yes, I think Oregon should be in the head of Ohio State no matter what if all things are even, even if they lost to uh, Stanford, Watch out for Ohio State to jump because that schedule is going to get nastier really, really fast. You guys can check him out on collegefootballnews.com. Pete Futak, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. Anytime, you two. Have a good one. That's great insight from him, Spain and Fitz. In the meantime, he did bring up something that I think is really important that everybody needs to hear about the rankings. Sarah says it every year. I'm going to reiterate it. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz hanging out with you. We just talked to Pete Futak, Fitz, about college football and the first college football playoff rankings. He gave us a straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. And for the most part, he seemed okay with the way the committee looked at what has happened thus far in the season. Just the first rankings, remember. But Robert Griffin III, ESPN NFL, I'm sorry, football analyst, was on KJ and Max this morning. He felt a little bit differently. I just think it's an embarrassment, really. It's showing the, that the group of five teams literally have no chance to make it into the college football playoff. Uh, they're, they're doing this, and the way that they go about the votes is just picking who the best teams are, not the most deserving teams, not the teams that are going to provide parity uh, through this whole process, which is why Alabama ended up at number two. But with the season that Cincinnati has had, beating Notre Dame uh, and being as high as number two in the AP poll and coaches poll, uh, everybody thought they'd have a chance, but coming in number six, they got no chance at all. Fitz, I think as you heard, my frustration is with the system where it is impossible to blow past the the limitations for non-Power 5 teams. So it's kind of silly to argue about this every year, knowing that they're not going to make it. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I, so there's a couple of things here that, you know, when you go back to RG3 and he says it's an embarrassment, well, 
they're charged with finding the four best. And so that's exactly like he said, you know, they're just picking the best, not the most deserving. Well, that's That's what they're (laughs) specifically told to do. So I don't think that's an embarrassment. But most importantly, Sarah, you say this every year with college Mm -hmm. football. And I have to remind everybody now with the playoffs, like it works itself out. As much as everybody's really angry, how often can we look back and say, oh, the college football committee did not get the Final Four anywhere near right? Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, right now, everybody's going to be upset about where teams are ranked. But guess what? If Oklahoma wins out, they're going to be in a much better situation. If they don't, they didn't belong in. If Michigan State loses to Ohio State, they fall out. Like, there's so many times here over the next couple of months where these are next six weeks where these teams are going to play each other that at the end of the day, we get worked up. This is like no different than getting worked up over an ESPN.com power ranking. At the end right. of the day, at the end of the year, it won't matter because I mean, the right four will get in. And it's serving its purpose. It's like literally every other list. It's just to get people to fight with each other. NBA <laughs> 75, top Halloween candy, worst movies about sports. Like All lists are designed to create conflict, and that's what they want. And that's what we want. That's why we have shows Every time there's a new rankings so we can talk about how wrong or right they were and know in the end it doesn't matter until the last one. But I do think by the last one, we often come to the same conclusion, which is that you don't have a shot unless your schedule is full of enough good teams week in and week out. And that does not happen unless you are in the power five. You're right. We'll come back to that over and over again until there's expansion And that expansion conversation got more complicated this year than ever because of the TV rights deals that some people want to wait out because the SEC changing, yada, yada, yada. We'll get into all of that. Uh, But I think I think you're right. We have to be patient. That's just not what we do well at, especially in regards to college football playoff rankings. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, our producer, sharp producer, noting that only one team ranked number one overall in the first rankings has gone on to win the national championship, Alabama, last season. Yeah, there's all sorts of stats that'll tell you. You know, usually it's the two and three in the middle that have the biggest trouble sustaining that spot by the end. I never freak out about it. I leave that to y'all because it, you need the content for your college football shows. Yeah, as long as people keep freaking out about it and watching the rankings reaction yeah, perfect. on Tuesday that's, nights, I'm good. That's all you want. Yeah. No. Uh, speaking of freaking out, uh, well, a lot of people on the internet freaking out about your final three choices for Major League Baseball Bachelor. You have ended up somehow, strangely, with the Yankees, Brewers, Reds. Of all of the teams in baseball that you could choose to become a fan of, you have somehow ended up with those. Speaking of baseball, by the way, I meant to mention this earlier. The Giants' Buster Posey planning to retire will announce it tomorrow. This according to a report from The Athletic today. He's played his entire 12-year career in San Francisco, helped him to three World Series titles, only player still on the team who played on all three of those title-winning teams. An incredible career, a beloved player. Uh, I'm sure tomorrow will be a, a really emotional moment for a lot of the fans of that team and of Buster Posey, uh, former Rookie of the Year who had an incredible career uh, and carried on that success throughout. So, uh, speaking of baseball, though, we did have a couple suggestions that people recommended that I had not thought of, of the possible reps for the teams. Uh, Bob Euchre for the Brew Crew, mm-hmm. at CheeseCurd19, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. He was a part of Spain and Fitz Nation with that recommendation. I like that. Bob Euchre is always a good listen, always a good call. Um, and at Kyle M. Baker 19 also a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed uh, with at that girl on deck could rep the Brewers Die hard over there. So we do have some options. We'll have to get our producers on that so we could schedule those folks to come on and give their very best pitch to convince you. Uh, I don't even ask if you're leaning one way or another. Um, I 
I'm deeply, deeply concerned that you'll choose the Brewers and we'll be enemies, and also that you would want to choose the Brewers. Frenemies, I'm concerned though, we'd that be you frenemies, would be right? Like, a then we'd bandwagoner be, we'd... and choose the Yankees, a team that, frankly, has been very disappointing in the last decade, or the Reds, because why the Reds? I don't know how we ended up getting the Reds this far into this. Yeah. You, I believe it was like you liked one place that you've been in Cincinnati, and that somehow rode them the whole way. I mean, Grater's Ice Cream is a delight, and King's Island is spectacular, and Milwaukee has my favorite restaurant in the country. So, like, think about it, though. If I became a Brewers fan, then we could go to, like, games in Milwaukee and Chicago, like, back-to-back. We could, like, you know, go from—they're so close in proximity. We, we could eat could, both of yes. these. Um, okay. I just want I just want, when we get down to the final decisions— I want to give each of these people a really good chance and opportunity to represent their t- squad, to tell you why you should root for them. And then I reserve the right to also be given a platform to explain to you why you shouldn't pick one or several oh, I like of them. that. Actually, uh, that's a really good idea to let somebody the, be a contrarian to all also of this. Let, yeah, we should also get a, a, a rival person from uh, whatever that team's biggest rival is to try to talk you off the ledge. Um, and I would start right there with, with – uh, with, uh, Lying, uh, cheating. Uh, would I would you know be willing to offer up the potential of pointing the finger and false charges of anti-Semitism and Cubs fandom instead of just owning up to being a big fat giant giant cheater? Talking about you, Ryan Braun. I don't know. Maybe that would be a reason not to root for the Brewers. We'll have to get into it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that to you. Uh, that's right. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz reason that you pick the reds is and it's a drive into deep left by castellanos anyway i mm. get that one in there yeah. let's get to the rogers talk one last time because we did not get to play matt lafleur and i had teased that he had some really thoughtful things to say today <laughs> about the world discovering that aaron Rodgers is unvaccinated but has following uh protocols at least in part for the vaccinated folks all season long without apparently getting any fines or punishments or anyone caring Here's Matt LaFleur really taking that leadership role today. Aaron vaccinated. I'm not going to get into any of our coaches or players' vaccination status. I really don't know. I just know that he won't be available this week. And then we've got a great opponent we're going against. And then we'll address next week when we get there. It's a great challenge. Nobody's going to feel sorry for us. And we all have to prepare to the best of our ability to go down there and get a win. And that's the mindset. I mean, they're not going to postpone or cancel the game. We have a game to play. It's the next man up mentality. And that's how we've operated for everybody. I think our guys will rally around Jordan. We've got a lot of confidence in him. And what a great opportunity for him to showcase what he can do. I mean, I don't understand how the coach can sit up there and say nothing about any of this, because at the end of the day, the league has already made it clear that they're putting it on the team. Like, at what point is the team going to speak to what they've allowed, what they've known, and what they've been good with? And also, at what point is the coach going to actually give us any sort of real accountability conversation answers to what standards they're holding Aaron Rodgers to? Like, are they just going to flat out admit? Like, I I would respect Matt LaFleur so much more if he came to the podium and said, guys, look, we already made him so mad, I don't want to keep ticking him off. So we just decided to let him do what he did. At least then he'd be honest with us. Yeah, I, I think to your point, first of all, the Packers have to acknowledge how they haven't enforced protocols in their own building. The NFL has to acknowledge their role as the overarching group that is responsible for punishing the Packers if they don't abide by those protocols. Everybody is responsible here and should be held accountable. Aaron Rodgers as well. I, I think 
you need to talk about the fact that we somehow, because of completely muddying the waters on COVID in a way that is responsible for many of the hundreds of thousands of deaths, by making it political, by making it something that it isn't, by not simply applying the same common sense and scientific fact-based faith and research that we use for everything else, we have resulted in Matt LaFleur just talking, refusing to talk about this when it's taking out his starting quarterback for a massive game, right? Like there is no other issue where he would just act like that in response to a question instead of saying, yeah, this is going to be a problem for our team. Let me address this. Here's what went down. People are so terrified of stepping on any toes, particularly that of Aaron Rodgers, who's already at such a unique point with this Packers team, that they won't even address it firmly and, and, and with any actual care. And that's really frustrating to me, Fitz. That's how we got here. At some point, what has to happen now is the thing I feel like I always call for, Sarah, Sarah, transparency. We just need transparency from someone. Always. Always. And and we better get it from the league because this is a big enough story that people aren't going to let it die. Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. They're going to have Roger Goodell and Aaron Rodgers on. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.